Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to another edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is our game preview, final preview before East Carolina and Tulane. This is Stephen Igo, the host of the Hoist the Colors podcast. We have got a ton of your questions on Twitter to get to, which we will do here shortly. As always, uh, you guys will help carry the show. Did have uh, last night was scheduled to have Jason Tindall join me who's a pirate background hoist the colors. We ended up having a conflict on my end, so we had to reschedule. So I'm flying solo today. We'll get Jason on perhaps after the two-lane game, but got a lot of your questions to help guide me through this show, as always, and going to share my take on this matchup to begin with. And here we are again, ECU two-lane, another crucial early to mid-season contest. It just feels like when these two teams meet up, there's always a lot on the line. It's always a swing game so to speak. You can even go back to the 2018 contest, which was actually later in the season when Scotty Montgomery was still the coach. ECU had a shot at bowl eligibility heading into that game. Needed to win out. That's the only time ECU has ever played at the Tulane on-campus stadium, Yulman Stadium. And the Pirates fell just short in that contest, 24-18 in a disappointing game where really I remember the Pirates threw the ball I think 67 times on the left arm of Holton Aylers when he was a true freshman. And then Tulane did basically nothing offensively, but they had three monster plays to win the ball game. 24-18, of course, Scotty Montgomery was fired weeks later as ECU once again went 3-9, and nine and their ball hopes were dashed after that game. So I remember being there for that one. Quaint little on-campus stadium. Uh, perfect for Tulane. Honestly, they don't need a big stadium, and that kind of suits them well. The press box is probably the worst that uh, – exist in the American Athletic Conference. Not that you guys really care about that, but it's just like a high school stadium in many ways, like a big high school stadium, but uh, much better than playing in the Superdome, which Tulane and ECU used to do, and there being 4,000 people there in a 70,000-seat cavernous stadium. So I expect a pretty big crowd this weekend. Tulane, of course, coming in at 4-1 and overall, 1-0 and in conference play. ECU at 3-2, and 1-1 and in league play. We'll talk more about the ramifications of this game in a little bit. But you look back to it, 2020, these teams did not play in 2019, but in 2020, the Pirates faced off against Tulane in early November. The Pirates had pretty much had the previous two games won and ended up falling in both uh, both contests to Navy. This was the COVID season, remember? You had Mason Garcia start over Holton Aylers. The offense struggled, couldn't put together a game-winning drive, uh, lost that game 27-23 despite outplaying Navy for much of that day. And then the next week went to Tulsa on a Friday night on ESPN, should have won the game. We all know the Tulsa screw job. And I remember coming out of that game, everybody had 
pretty positive vibes about the program kind of turning the corner despite back-to-back losses. And Tulane just came in in a critical week for the Pirate football program in the second year of the Mike Houston era and just smacked the Pirates uh, pretty much in all phases. Ended up winning that contest going away 38-21 in 2020. And again, kind of put ECU's season on a downturn instead of an upturn, even though ECU did finish with a couple wins to, to get some momentum towards the end of the year. But then last year, you had a 2-2 a two and two ECU football team hosting a two-lane team that was desperate for a win. They were 1-3 and three early in the season, having dealt with the hurricane, close loss to Oklahoma. They came in with really a needing a win to salvage their season. ECU sitting at 2-2 two and two, needed a win to start off conference play and to realistically make a bowl game with the schedule that was in front of them. And the Pirates played one of their better games of the Mike Houston era, winning 52-29 having over 600 yards of offense against Tulane. That was the first win over the Green Wave since uh, early in the uh, American Athletic Conference joining the Americans. So Tulane had won three in a row until last year. And many of those wins, of course, all of them in the winning streak coming under Willie Fritz, who's done a heck of a job with the Tulane Green Wave program. And I think anybody that knows college football and knows how good of a coach Willie Fritz is, last year's 2-10, and 10, that was only going to motivate him to – even more bounce back in 2022. We've seen that Tulane has really developed several guys in their program. They've gotten a number of players back healthy. I believe this is Willie's seventh year at Tulane, so they have depth. Uh, second year defensive coordinator Chris Hampton has really led a remarkable turnaround compared to early last season. If you look at their numbers from last year, it was the second half of the year when they got some guys back from injury. Namely, Nick Anderson, their uh, their inside linebacker, who's uh, forms a really standout tandem with with his fellow inside backer Dorian Williams. When those guys got back healthy, they played some pretty good defense the second half of the year, and they've continued that into this this season. Big part of their four and one start is the level of their defense. They're ninth overall in total defense. They are first in passing yards allowed per game. Now, I'll say up front. I think this is a good two-lane defense. Do I think they are what their numbers are? No, and we'll get into that in a little bit. A lot of this has to do with their competition, and I'll share more on that later when I get a question about the two-lane defense. But these are two good teams, guys, two good football teams, very similar in terms of culture. You've got coaches with similar backgrounds who have really worked their way up the hard way, who have taken over programs that were struggling when they took them over have since rebuilt them. And so I'm expecting a a dogfight of a football game on Saturday. I've kind of said throughout this week, I look at it as, okay, in 2020, the first time Mike Houston and and Willie Fritz faced off, Tulane got the better of ECU. Last year, second meeting, ECU got the better of them. This is almost like a rubber game to me. You've got a ton of veterans, a ton of seniors on both sides, a ton of upperclassmen, coaching staffs, Pretty much said the same. You do have a new offensive coordinator at Tulane um, as Chip Long went to, I believe, Georgia Tech, and they brought in Jim Silvada uh, from uh, the Division II ranks, I believe, at Central Missouri. Um, and so, you know, he's done a good job with this offense. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the Tulane quarterback position. Michael Pratt, from everything I gather, I think they're going to try to get him to a point where he can go. And if you look back at the end of the Southern Miss game, which is their one loss this year, with about 30 seconds left, he got twisted up by his face mask thrown down on his shoulder and neck area. And I don't know if that's where the injury occurred, but it it sounds like he's dealing with a bit of a shoulder injury that, again, has affected him in the past. And if he's not at 100%, we've seen, including last year when they were in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, when, when that shoulder's bothering him, he's not as accurate as he needs to be. And so that's something that we'll be watching pregame on Saturday. Uh, I think this is a, a fascinating matchup, though, where you've got East Carolina coming into the contest with the 15th best total offense in America numbers-wise. And again, similar to how Tulane's numbers are inflated a bit based on competition, I think ECU's offensive numbers are, are also inflated, given that USF, quite frankly, is pretty bad defensively. Um, they don't do a whole lot well on that side of the ball right now. You also have the Campbell game that you've thrown in there. But the Pirates did move the ball pretty well at times on NC State. You know, of course, the inconsistency against Navy, who is probably the best scheme defense they've faced thus far. NC State, probably the best talent they've faced thus far. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens on on Saturday. 
it, again, two similar cultures. Both football teams want to establish the run, stop the run. And we'll get into some of the things Tulane does defensively that, you know, perhaps concerns you a bit uh, when we talk about Tulane's defense here in a bit. But the fact of the matter is, and I've been asked, hey, how do you think this game's going to go? Do you have a feel for it either way? You know, I think I think we're going to get both teams' best efforts and really, like as close as it is to sound, when you have two pretty evenly matched football teams, it's simply going to come down to who makes the plays, who who avoids the turnovers, the crucial penalties. You're going to have to play a very sound football game on offense, defense. You can't really allow many busts in this type of game because, you know, Tulane's a defense that – for the most part, has avoided giving up the big play this season. It was a problem early last year. And so they're they're going to bank on trying not to do that. And then on ECU's side, they've got to sure up things defensively to not give up a big play against an offense that's been somewhat inconsistent. So, again, we'll get more into the matchups here as we start to answer some of your questions. But this is a crucial swing game. If ECU wants to find a way to compete for a conference championship, we said last week it was a must-win you know, I hate to say it, but this week is also a must-win. If you want to get back into the conference championship race, realistically, the winner of this football game for me ascends into that mix, whereas the loser starts to look at it more as, hey, how do we how do we get to six wins, six, seven wins, make sure we get to a bowl game? You know, if you win this football game, if you're East Carolina, all of a sudden you're four and two, you're coming home for two big home games against Memphis and UCF, two more conference contenders. If you lose this game, all of a sudden you're one and two, and you can't, you, you surely can't lose again if you want to compete for a conference championship. Um, and even then, winning out may not get you there. There's no guarantee. So if you want to stick your, your, your feet firmly in the mix for a conference championship, you got to find a way to scratch this one out on Saturday, no matter how, how it happens. Uh, this is a crucial game for both teams, but especially ECU. You know, Tulane, they're only 1-0 in conference. They can technically afford a loss this early and bounce back. But again, you're going to have that head-to-head advantage whoever wins over the other team. I think both programs kind of see it as a possibility that the winner of this game can potentially be in that mix later in the year with uh, with a lot more to play for in the coming weeks. So not that a loss in your season by any means, but it is an important game if the Pirates want to reach that conference championship chase that they have uh, talked about so much this offseason. All right, let's get into your questions. I'll save my prediction and my final picks to click for the very latter half of the show. All right, Kellum has got our first question of the day. He says, will pass protection be affected? With no Rajay Harris, how has Marlon Gunn performed as a blocker? So, I mean, this is a good question. I kind of touched on it during uh, the podcast earlier this week when we looked at how does the loss of Rajay Harris impact ECU moving forward. You know, I think it definitely has an impact. Rajay was probably your best overall pass protector. He's your best proven pass protector from a running back standpoint. You know, for the most part, it's not like ECU's backs do like a ton of pass protection. There are a lot of instances where they're out on routes, but certainly, you know, a handful of times per game at, at least, they're in there picking up a blitz and, you know, especially against teams that, that blitz a decent amount, which Tulane thus far not a huge blitz team. They're blitzing about 30% of the time, dropping in the coverage around 70% of the time per pro football focus. So you may not have to worry about that too much, but at the same time, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator and you realize that you've got a freshman in there who's only pass protected a handful of times in this college career, you might send an extra blitzer or two. So that's something we'll watch for more this week. South Florida, I thought, blitzed a number of times uh, with Marlon Gunn in the backfield. Several of those turned into passing routes. Uh, according to P- uh, Pro Football Focus, he pass protected on three plays and did not allow pressure each time. So he did a great job. He picked up a couple of linebackers, picked up, I think, a DB one time. So he did his job, and that's all you can ask. And that's, you know, for the most part, he's a pretty pretty physical guy for a freshman. Now, I don't think he's going to shy away uh, from picking up a blitz. So uh, I don't think it'll be a huge deal, you know, with Keith Mitchell coming back if he plays more snaps than he did previously as the season goes on, he is not, you know, the best pass blocker in the world, more so because of his size than anything. It's not like he's unwilling to do it, but uh, that could be a concern. But again, if you're an opposing defense and you bring too many blitzers, when Keaton Mitchell's in the backfield, he could easily leak out and burn you. So, 
you know, we'll see more, I think, as the season goes on. But right now, I think it has an impact. I don't think it has, like, this monster impact that is going to negatively affect ECU's offense in a big way. Uh, Scott Lorbatcher, who's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times uh, for baseball season, he's got a couple of questions. He says, is this the best defense we'll see this season? You know, I don't think so. And this is not a disrespect or a slight at Tulane. Definitely NC State, to me, way better defensively than Tulane. Uh, Personnel-wise, you know, they do a lot of a lot of different stuff as well. I think Tulane is going to be similar to Navy with better athletes. Now, they won't blitz as much, but I think they're going to mix up coverages a decent amount. And, you know, as the season goes on, like teams like UCF, Houston, um, you know, definitely BYU, like those teams just have better personnel than Tulane. Now, I will say Tulane's linebackers are right up there with some of the best ECU will see. Again, not quite to the level of NC State's, but definitely really good. Nick Anderson, Dory Williams, they are really good. Uh, their nickelback is a player. You know, he's played some safety in the past, but he's now playing the nickel. He's graded out really high every game this year. And so those three guys kind of in the middle of the defense, they create a lot of problems. They're good against the run. They're solid against the pass. So there's some opportunities there where they can really hurt you if you don't pick up those guys on, on blocks or if you just don't account for them on any given play. So, again, really good defense. Do, is it the best defense ECU will face this year? No. Now you look at the, the numbers, 123 passing yards per game allowed. Like That is scary if you're a pass-first team. Like ECU can be at times if the running game's not working. But I dove into the numbers because like last year, Tulane's defense was not good at all. Again, we talked about it earlier. A lot of that was due to injuries. But a deeper look shows you they have played one of the weakest schedules in terms of offense in the country. Now, I realize that Tulane's performance against these teams affect these rankings. But Tulane, and we're now at a four or five game sample size for every team. So, you know, you're kind of, you kind of are what the numbers say you are at this point once you reach the midseason. Tulane has not faced a top 68 total offense team all season long. The best offense they've faced is Kansas State. They rank 69th in total offense nationally. They've won games more on the running game and defensively thus far. And here are the opposing passing offenses, you know, at this point in the season heading into this weekend that Tulane has faced. UMass, who is absolutely terrible. They may be an FBS team, but they are they're worse than UConn. They're worse than they're probably the worst FBS team, period. UMass is averaging sixty seven yards passing per game, which ranks hundred thirtieth in college football. Kansas State is averaging 139 yards passing per game. That is that ranks 122nd in college football. Southern Miss is averaging 234 yards passing per game. That ranks 79th in college football. Houston, which you think, hey, Dana Holgerson, wide open passing offense. You know, not really. They're averaging 240 a game, which is 75th in college football. You know, what they did against Houston was they kept plays in front of them, made uh, Clayton Toon drive down the field, taking the underneath throws. I would expect them to do something similar to ECU, uh, given the playmakers out wide. But And then you have Alcorn State. Uh, definitely not uh, not your, your most steady competition, but Alcorn State is averaging 119 yards passing per game, which ranks 117th in college football at the FCS level. So they have not faced a legitimate passing attack, certainly not one like ECU to this point. So to me, the numbers are a little bit of a lie. I'm not saying again. I'm not saying Tulane is, is bad defensively. I think they're above average for sure. But let's wait and see how they play Saturday. Um, I think we're going to have a, a much better understanding of how good Tulane is and how good ECU is. I mean, this is a good defense you're going against. We've seen this offense struggle at times against quality defensive competition. You know, yeah, ECU lit up uh, South Florida, but can they follow that up with another solid showing on the road against Tulane? You know, we'll find out. You know, Holt Naylor said it best. We've had big games in the past. Now we have to find a way to string those together you know, specifically offensively and kind of show we can be this offense each and every week. So I'm not expecting them to go out and roll up 600 yards like they did last year or 48 points like they did last week. But, you know, you score over 30 points this game. If you score high 20s, you're going to put yourself in a position to win this football game 
on Saturday in New Orleans. So again, not the best defense in my opinion, just based on some of the research I've done, but certainly a very quality defense and a defense that will uh, will test you on Saturday. Uh, Scott also wants to know, pretty marquee coaching matchup this weekend between Willie Fritz and Mike Houston. Where would you put those two in your AAC coaching rankings? Uh, this is a tough one because if you look at both coaches to this point, they both have losing records at their current stops, but there's more to it that goes in, into it than that. You know, they both took over losing programs. They've both turned them around. They've made them respectable teams in this conference. Um, you know, you give Willie Fritz or Mike Houston the talent of a UCF or Houston or Memphis, some of these teams that have, or Cincinnati, you know, I think they would easily produce one of the best programs in the conference year in and year out. You know, I, I certainly would have them in the top third. You know, I don't think you can go against Luke Fickle being uh, being at the top. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're two of the best coaches in terms of creating culture, leadership, physicality, everything you want in a football program, uh, these guys know how to do. And, you know, you look at Willie Fritz, he's had to make some coordinator changes these last few years. Some of that is because his coaches have gone on to take on head coaching jobs like uh, Will Hall going to Southern Miss, who ended up coming back to beat him uh, this year. But there are also some other instances of that as well. So, um, And then he had to make some changes as well on the, on the defensive side at times. So it is what it is. It, it's a, I think both coaches are really good for their respective programs, and I hope that each program can keep them as long as possible. Uh, as far as ranking, you know, I don't know the exact number I would say off the top of my head, but Certainly near the top third, for sure, of the league. Uh, Scott says, ECU now leads all the G5 in attendance. How big of a factor is that in recruiting? Well, I think I think it's a big factor. I think anytime you can show recruits numbers to back up, hey, we've got one of the best game day environments in college football, and here are the numbers to prove it. I think that's a huge deal in recruiting. I think it's also something the coaches can sell. Hey, we're we're just getting started here. We are just really turning around this program. Think about what it's going to be like when we're averaging eight, nine, ten wins a year. How packed this place is going to be. So, specifically when you're recruiting against a UCF or you're recruiting against somebody in your own conference or somebody regionally like an App State or any of those programs like Marshall. You know, the Pirates typically beat those teams on the recruiting trail when they want somebody, and this just gives you more you know, more ammo to back that up. So uh, I think it's a big deal. I think it's a, a crucial addition to uh, to what the Pirates can present when they are recruiting somebody. All right, we've got several more questions. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more of the Hoist Colors podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back into the Hoisted Colors podcast. We're rolling right along with our final pregame Tulane podcast. We are continuing with your questions. I'm Stephen Igo. Let's head out back to the Twitter, uh, Twitter live line, so to speak, and talk to Dan, who's got a off-the-wall question, which these are always fun. Tulane is one of 13 FBS teams whose team name doesn't end in S. 
How many of the remaining 12 can you name without cheating? So I'll be honest, I I did this over the course of a few hours. Like off and on, I, would, I was doing some work around the house this morning and and watching my one-year-old son. So I was like thinking about this off and on and I came up with a list in my notes. I came up with nine of the 12, not counting Tulane. These are the nine I came up with. Tulsa, Golden Hurricane, Navy, Midshipman, North Texas, Mean Green, NC State, Wolfpack, Nevada, Wolfpack, Marshall, Thundering Herd, Notre Dame, Fighting Irish, Alabama, Crimson Tide, and the Syracuse Orange. That is nine of the 12, not counting Tulane. The other three I missed, and thank you guys for helping on Twitter. Alex, uh, Zach, and Ty helped out with some of the answers on Twitter. The UMass Minutemen, which I should have got them, talked about how crappy they were earlier. The Illinois Fighting Illini and the Stanford Cardinal are the 12, and then, of course, the Tulane Green Wave, number 13. So, there's your 13 non-plural or non-S ending mascot names in uh, the FBS level of college football. Did we leave one out? If so, let us know uh, on the uh, on the Hoist of Colors website. All right, moving on. Josh in NC, do you see the defense making changes to get more pass rush going? <sighs> You know, right now, ECU defensively ranks 131st out of 132 FBS teams in pass rush grade per pro football focus. And a lot of that just simply comes down to winning your one-on-one matchups. You get a good pass rush grade if you create pressure, and you create pressure by winning your one-on-one matchups. And as PFF has determined it, and as I've seen, ECU just not winning a lot of those one-on-one matchups. And the only way to create more pressure is to come up with more blitzes or to come up with more stunts. Now, I do think some of this is due to the fact ECU has faced mobile quarterbacks in three of the five games thus far. Of course, you've got the uh, the, the triple option. It's kind of hard to create pressure against a triple option team because you're, you're basically playing the run the whole game. You've got the kid from Campbell who just, I mean, he's a, basically a running back playing quarterback. And then you got Gary Bohannon from South Florida who can run for sure. And you against those type of teams, you really want to, you really want to create more lane integrity more so than pass rush. I mean, ideally, yeah, you bull rush the guy in front of you, you get pressure and lane integrity, but that's difficult to do. So, you know, Michael Pratt, if he plays for Tulane, he's a pretty mobile quarterback, but he's definitely capable of getting sacked. Um, Kyle Horton, same way. Like these guys can move, but they aren't, you know, the, the caliber of running quarterbacks maybe that ECU has seen in the past, although Pratt does have nearly 200 yards of rushing. So, you know, we'll see based upon the the personnel that ECU faces. The next few games, Seth Hennigan against Memphis, and then this week should provide more of an opportunity. Tulane has also struggled in pass pro at times this year, so that could be an area where uh, the Pirates can take advantage of. But they have to start winning more one-on-one matchups because you don't want to just have to resort to sending the house all the time. You know, ECU has played coverage this year. They blitz. They, they still want to mix it up. So, you know, part of that is when you just rush three or four, you do have to count on guys to win their battles. And, you know, you, you kind of are what you are. You can't go sign a free agent pass rusher midseason. You can't really develop a guy over the course of a, a few games. So you're just going to have to get some of your guys to, to start winning more battles. You know, one of their best interior pass rushers is Rick DeBrew. He hasn't really played this year um, for whatever reason. And so, you know, J.D. Lampley's a freshman. He's probably one of their better interior pass rushers, but he's a freshman. He's still learning. And Jeremy Lewis, teams know about him now. So they're putting their their best blocker. They're chipping him with a tight end. They're doing things to try and take him away as well. And we haven't seen him maybe make the type of impact as a pass rusher. He's been good against the run. He's been... He's been solid in coverage, but he just hasn't made that impact yet as a pass rusher that maybe we see sooner than later. But, you know, there's only so many changes you can make without altering your scheme. Um, Josh also wants to know, who is your most improved player so far on both sides of the football? That's a good question. Um, Really good question from Josh. You know, just going off the top of my head here offensively, I'm going to go with uh, Isaiah Foote 
at guard. He's just a guy who's been the program, and in many regards, this was his year to step into a starting role, but he's gone out and he's done a good job of taking it. You know, nothing was given to him. He's been in the program and has earned this spot, so I think he's done a solid job, and I think he's gotten better as the year has gone on. Defensively, you know, Gerard Stringer to me has just played high-quality football basically every game this year. Uh, he looks really good. He's covered well. He, he's he's delivered big hits, helped against the run, and his growth from early in his career to now is night and day. So those are two of the guys I pick for that that honor. Uh, will the Mariners win the World Series is Josh's final question. I'm going to say no. I, I think lack of postseason experience is going to hurt them. Unfortunately, after waiting 21 years to watch the Seattle Mariners play a playoff game, game one against Toronto is when I will be in the air flying to New Orleans. Game two against Toronto starts 30 minutes into the ECU Tulane game, so I probably won't even get get a chance to watch either. Hoping they at least win one of the first two to force a Sunday game or sweep it, and then I can watch them take on the Astros next week, but... I think uh, I just think the lack of postseason experience will catch up with them. They can pitch and they can play defense and they hit home runs. They don't do a lot of offense, but when they do, it comes via the home run ball. And typically in the postseason, defense and pitching wins with the occasional home run. So they do kind of have the team set up to win in the postseason. They've got an excellent bullpen. They've got three really good starting pitchers. Four, really, if you count George Kirby and Robbie Ray as your three and four. And so they definitely have a shot, but Toronto's tough, and that is a brutal place to have to open your playoff run at. Um, So I'm going to say no, but it wouldn't shock me if they made a run, even as a first-year playoff team. But my my expectations are low. Hopes are high, though. All right, Judge Smells, he says, ECU has improved a ton under Mike Houston. That said, we have not been able to win the games against, quote, better teams, i.e. teams with solid winning records, or ranked teams. Why do you think that is? What needs to happen this week to break that trend? Well, so ECU has not been able to finish, really, against these good teams. Let's look at it now. NC State, make a kick, make a play at the end of the game, you win. Dating back to last year. At Houston, make a play at the end of regulation. You have the ball, you're driving for the win. If you make the play, you win that game. Same type of deal at UCF. Late game situations, if you make them, you win. So to me, it, it all comes down to the late game situations. From a player perspective and from a coaching perspective, ECU's got to start making those plays where there's play calling, time management, uh, players in the moment, kickers. Like all those things have to, to come together for ECU to take that next step. Now, you know, at Memphis, I would say, was a, a good team at the time. Um, I can't remember if they were 500 or whatever. And then at Marshall, ECU was able to make those plays. Those were two quality teams. Those were two road wins over bowl teams that allowed ECU to become a bowl team. Uh, I, I feel like Tulane's going to be very similar to all those games. So at certain points, we've seen ECU make those plays, but you have to make them more consistently. And, you know, I think the coaching staff has learned from some of the late-game clock management situations. I think the players hopefully have learned from such situations. You know, for you know, what if this weekend comes down to a kick? Is Owen Daffer going to bounce back? Uh, Tulane's got major kicking issues as well, so that's kind of a toss-up. And, you know, really when you've got two good football teams playing, which ECU is a good football team, playing another good football team, it often comes down to those four or five plays in crunch time. Who makes them? who makes the big mistake earlier in the game, who avoids that mistake. And that's simply what it comes down to. Like, I don't think there's a magic formula. I just think it's, hey, at the time the game is on the line, if it's the you know the, the final drive, the, the next to final drive, if ECU needs a first down to put the game away, if they need a touchdown instead of a field goal to put the game away, ECU is going to have to start making those plays more times than not if they want to become the conference championship contender they want to be. They couldn't do it against NC State. They couldn't do it against Navy. That's why they're 3-2 and two instead of 5-0. and oh. So they have to start breaking through those moments uh, more times than not to get there. So that's my answer to it, and it, I think it's as simple as that. Uh, Christian Bateman says, what is the status on C.J. Johnson's hand and Jalen Johnson's injury going into this weekend? 
Uh, CJ's been practicing all week. Uh, he's been going with the ones. Uh, Jalen Johnson, Tuesday, Wednesday, did not practice, but he was taking mental reps with the offense. He was out there. He was involved. So, um, you know, his back has tightened up on him. And so I don't know if he will go or not this week. I think there's a chance he goes. It probably depends on how he feels. He'll probably be limited either way. And so you'll likely see C.J. Johnson outside a lot with the tight ends and the slot. Uh, Christian also asked, will Harris be traveling with the team this weekend despite his injury? That I do not know at this time. I'll try and ask and find out. Um, How has Keaton Mitchell looked at practice this week? And I think from everything I've heard, Keaton has looked better this week than last week. Um, I, I feel like he is a more of a, a go this week. I just think it's a matter of he'll probably be on a pitch count. It's just a pain tolerance thing with him right now, and I feel like he's probably uh, probably going to play, especially with Rajay Harris being out. They need him to play, quite honestly. And even if he only goes 15, 20 snaps or 10, 15 snaps, you don't want to put a true freshman of Marlon Gunn and a, a freshman who hasn't played in Camaro Edmonds out there the whole time. Um and rely on them. I mean, of course, if you have to, you have to. But, uh, yeah, that that would be not ideal. And Keaton had a huge game against Tulane last year. And so that's something that uh, the Pirates are going to want him on the field for to potentially recreate that. Uh, final question from Christian. What do you feel like the game plan is for the offense going into Saturday? Well, I mean, a lot of it is dependent upon what Tulane does. Just watching Tulane a few times this year, I think ECU is going to have to run the ball successfully to win on Saturday. I feel like Tulane plays a style of defense right now where they are going to try to keep plays in front of them. They're going to try to confuse you, get you into third and long, and play a lot of different coverages. And the way to keep that defense on their heels is to run the ball, get three to five yards, put yourself in second, third situations that are manageable. Houston, if you watch that game early, they were uncomfortable defensive or uncomfortable offensively, and then in the second half, basically just conceded to Tulane style and and started to pick up four to five yard plays at a time. And they had some long sustained drives, didn't hit on a ton of big plays, but had success doing that. So if if Tulane implements the same game plan, ECU is going to have to remain patient offensively. They're going to have to take what the defense gives them. They're going to have to run the ball. And they're going to have to make the simple plays to drive down the field and then convert once they get in the red zone. Easier said than done. And so that's something that we could see on Saturday. But I don't know the game plan. I'm not in the, the meeting room. So I'm sure there are certain things here or there where uh, where the Pirates are going to try and take advantage of some matchups um, in space and whatnot. All right, Austin Voss, he says, with the competition not opening at kicker, is that due to the lack of depth and no reasonable option behind Daffer. Well, I asked earlier this week, Austin, is there an open competition at kicker? And Mike Houston basically said every position is open. He said Carson Smith, the basically the backup kicker at this point, he's returning from injury after a few weeks off. And so Carson would be the guy to push Owen Daffer. I don't expect Carson Smith to just go out there Saturday and start kicking, but I think if Owen continues to struggle – you will see Carson eventually get a shot. Uh, but, you know, talking with some people, the missed extra point, you know, if you go back and look at it, the ball is being held sideways by the holder. Not like sideways, sideways, but it is leaning heavily, which influences the kick. So it's not always just the kicker. You can change the kicker if you don't have a good snap and a good hold. You're going to get the same result. So the whole operation needs to fix to be fixed, quite honestly. Uh, any grumblings of pursuing a transfer portal kicker in the offseason? Anything on the UNC kicker kickoff specialist that re- recently left the program? Austin asks, you know, not not at this time. In season, you're not going to get a bunch of that information. A, the coaches are focused on the current game. B, they're not going to want that information out there because they don't want guys in the program to, to lose confidence. Um so honestly, I don't know. I, you know, that could be something they look into in the off season, but that's not something that's going to happen now. So, uh, better question for the off season. Uh, Logan says, "What happened with the UNC running back transfer? Just fell down the depth chart." He's asking about Camaro Edmonds. You know, Camaro's—he's a retro freshman. He's never played college football, and he is a guy that right now is is third in line at running back. So, he's behind Keith Mitchell. He's behind Marlon Gunn. 
he's third in line. He could be second in line if Keaton Mitchell can't go. So, I mean, he's right there. He's I don't want to say he's fell down the depth chart. He just got beat out by Marlon Gunn and, and the other two backs to begin the season. But he's right there, you know, and could see the field for the first time this weekend. He'll definitely travel. He'll definitely be a candidate to see the field. So, you know, he's shown flashes in practice. He's a bigger back. He's physical. It's just a matter of learning the offense. It's not as easy as coming in and just running, you know, through a certain gap or hitting a certain hole on the zone blocking scheme. There's a lot that goes into it, and he's still learning that. You know, Marlon Gunn probably picked it up a little quicker, uh, you know, whether it be work ethic or, you know, whatever, and that allowed him to become the third back. But Camaro's right there uh, next in line. All right, Pirate Treasure NC, he says the gun show or Camaro's. I guess he's asking if Marlon Gunn or Camaro Edmonds is going to have a bigger game. Uh, Marlon Gunn's going back home to Louisiana. He's from Baton Rouge. I think he's going to have a – I think he's going to find the end zone, have a game, and score his first collegiate touchdown in front of about 50 family and friends. Uh, next question, Adam says, is this the biggest conference game to date – in the Mike Houston era, while the nationally covered game against Cincinnati last season was big, ECU was still a sizable underdog at home. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say probably. I would say probably. I mean, they're all big. I mean, this conference is just every game outside of like right now when you play South Florida or Temple, it feels like every game is going to be an absolute war. This weekend is no different. If you win this game, the Memphis game becomes – the biggest of the Mike Houston era. If you win that one, the UCF game becomes the biggest of the Mike Houston era. So I just think the more you win, the bigger the games get. And if you want to compete for a conference championship, as I said earlier, you got to win this football game realistically. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think it's up there. I think last year's win over Memphis, the game at Memphis itself was a big one, given everything that was on the line for the program, not having achieved bowl eligibility in so long Memphis not having lost a a November home game in like six or seven seasons so that was a huge win at the time this one definitely for now though I I think the biggest game conference wise to date I I think it can swing your season in a big way um, one way or the other Uh, Preston says give us more detail on the kicker situation and the missed point after touchdowns so same type of deal I, I said earlier again Carson Smith Backup kicker, he's missed the last few weeks due to injury. He will be back, or he's back at practice this week, so he may travel with the team again and be in the mix um, if Owen continues to struggle. The missed PATs, I mean, you've had four missed PATs this year. Two of them were blocked. Those are not on Owen. You can't kick it through somebody, no matter how hard you try. Uh, One of them was a miss against NC State where he just stepped wrong with his plant leg. That one was on Owen. And then, of course, the one most recently, as I said, ball was being leaned sideways on the kick. That also is a problem by the holder. So you've had basically total operation failure in the kicking game on PATs. Owen needs to be better. He'll be the first to say that. Um, But, again, it's something that's got to be fixed from the top down. You've got other kickers on the roster. You've got Andrew Conrad, Lath Marjan, or Margin. And so there, there's other candidates, but, you know, again, you got to fix the whole whole operation before you just fix the kicker. If Owen just continues to flat-out miss kicks, that's a little bit of a different story. But uh, he's actually kicked the ball pretty cleanly. Even on his most recent misses, he's just got to get it to go through the upright. So uh, this is a big game. You know, close game for Owen. It means a, a, a potential crunch time kick, you know, this weekend for ECU. And that's something that, you know, eventually he's going to have to hit a big kick for this team, I think, to win a close game. And whether that happens this weekend or not, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an issue. I, I get it. And it's something that we we got to talk about. All right, Chris, he wants to know, did they ever say what is wrong with Harris's knee? Is it a torn ACL or something else? It is a torn ACL. They don't really – college. there's no college injury, injury reports. So they don't have to tell you the injury, but you know, just everything we've heard. I think Rajay even said it on Pirate Radio today. He's torn his ACL. He will have surgery next week, and then he will be back probably on a limited basis in the spring, but full go by next season. Uh, BP3 asks, it is well known that if Holton feels rushed, his accuracy suffers. What can we expect from Tulane's pass rush? 
I know they're a different team this year athletically, but I hope we can recreate the success we had last year against many of the same players. Go Pirates. Question BP, you know, looking at the numbers and having watched the game, I just think they're an okay pass rushing team, very similar to ECU. You know, they blitz, uh, you know, not as much as the Pirates right now, but they do blitz. When they do mix it up, they will bring some heavy pressure. Uh, but they rank just 99th in college football and pass rush per pro football focus. They rank, I think, uh, like 110 in sacks per game. Uh, their big pass rusher is Darius Hodges. He actually had a, a, a big year last year. He's been kind of quiet this year. Uh, Patrick Jenkins is another defensive lineman. They get some pressure for them, but um, not a great pass rushing team. And they do play a lot of coverage. So, again, it's a situation where you're going to have to be patient not force the ball and take some underneath throws against this type of defense unless they just totally change their game plan. You know, we saw South Florida come up last week, blitz a good amount, and also play a lot of man coverage, and they got toasted as a result. You would think Tulane sees that on film and doesn't want the same to happen to them. Navy played a lot of coverage. ECU struggled with it at times, so that's something that uh, the Pirates are going to have to learn from this week going into this game. But I think the pass rush is – you know, it's always a factor, but I don't think it's something like when you go against Houston or Cincinnati, you've got to account for, you know, two, three guys. I don't think that's really the major issue this week. Um, just looking at the numbers and, you know, we'll see Saturday what that matchup is like, though. Uh, Waller, he's got a question, says, was last week the confidence booster Holt needed any different vibe in practice this week from QB1? You know, I'll be honest, I think Holton's, Holton's the same guy each week. I, you know, he's... He never gets too high, never gets too down. Big performance, he stays even kill. Bad performance, game-changing pick like he threw against Navy. He's pretty much the same guy. So, um, to be honest, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a huge deal either way. Um, I, I think it's more of a case where, you know, we're looking at it. Holton's just Holton, and from game to game, his performance. Is going to be solid. It's just a matter of his decision-making and accuracy. Um, he, he made one bad decision against Navy, threw some inaccurate balls at times against Navy, but, you know, for the most part this year, he's played at a, a really high level and probably the most consistent high level we've seen him play at quarterback at ECU. He's grading out really well per pro football focus, and I think he's played phenomenal football outside of the first half against NC State and really that you know, that quarter or two against Navy. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any doubt Holton Aylers is going to, going to continue to play solid football. And I think, uh, he'll continue to put ECU in a position to win, including this week. All right. That looks like all the questions on social media. So now it is prediction time. I've been going back and forth all week on this one. I'll tell you what, let's first get my picks to click and then we'll go prediction. All right. Picks to click. Offensively, I'm going Marlon Gunn, returning home to Louisiana. I think Keith Mitchell will play, but I think Gunn will score his first touchdown. I think he will find the end zone. I think he'll have over 80 yards rushing. I think he makes a few big catches as well. I think this is a big game for Marlon Gunn. I think, again, Pirates are going to have to run the ball pretty successfully to have a chance on Saturday. So I'm going Marlon Gunn, leading a solid running effort. Defensively, we haven't seen a ton of interceptions this year. I've already gone to this well once, and while he did play a solid game, he didn't get the pick I was hoping for. I'm going to go back to Malik Fleming. He's just due to, to get a big pick. I think he comes up with an interception this week in a crucial spot for the defense. I think this is going to be a lower-scoring game. Um, two solid teams going at it. I think the spread is about right. It opened as a pick em in some books, and now up to three-and-a-half Tulane. You know, we don't really know about Michael Pratt on Tulane's side. We don't really know about Keaton Mitchell on ECU's side. So you have two key players kind of up in the air as far as what they're going to do on Saturday, if they're going to play, how effective they'll be if they play. But I, I just have a feeling. I have, I have a good feeling about this game. I think East Carolina, I, I, I just think they're a really good football team, and I know they've lost to Navy. But if you look at some of the numbers, like all the stats indicated that Basically, there's an 80% chance they should have won the game. It was kind of a fluke win for Navy, according to um, one of the, the metrics out there. NC State, same type of deal. Like ECU 
was a greater than 50% chance of winning that football game against a top 10 team based on the, the stats and how they played. I think this is a, a good football team, and I think they're going to find a way to win at Tulane to really get themselves back in the conference championship picture. I'm going to go 24-21 Pirates. They win it in a close one, get a late score and a late stop by the defense to pull it out in New Orleans. Again, both teams have kicking issues. That's something to watch this Saturday. But I think this is going to be a a strong defensive game. I think he's usually going to have to be patient on offense and take what the defense gives him. And uh, if they do that and Holton Aylers continues to stellar play, I think they find a way to pull this one out, come back home for a big big homecoming game, 4-2. and two. So I'm going 24-21 Pirates. We'll see what happens Saturday. Again, I'm heading out to New Orleans on Friday. You guys may be listening to this now on Friday, but either way, we'll be with you in New Orleans at Yulman Stadium on Saturday, 3.30 Eastern kickoff. We'll have live coverage on hoistacolors.net. Of course, the game viewable on ESPNU. So join us as always on our game thread. We've got the live chat going. Everybody will be losing their minds from play to play. That's what's great about it. There's nothing like that in-game emotion. Um, But, uh, yeah, let's tee it up. Should be a fun one, Saturday, 3.30. Thank you guys for listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We will be back with you after the game sometime Sunday uh, to wrap this one up. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.